Welcome to Curious and Candid, conversations with those in pursuit of more. Today's guest is Mikey Brackett. Mikey, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome, man. Well, I'm uh, I'm excited, Mikey, to uh, uh, learn more about you and, and kind of just uh, learn more about your story. Before we work our way in that direction, I kind of got some uh, questions I like to call the conversational starter questions, just to kind of get the ball rolling in terms of our conversation. So the first question I would like to ask you, Mikey, is how do you start your day? Do you have any specific routine or ritual you like to stick to on most mornings? Yeah. I mean, it, it varies depending on season. So I kind of follow a seasonal, uh, structure for my life kind of ebbing and flowing with how the planet does its thing. Um, currently though, um, I start my day with managing puppies. So we have a few dogs. Um, so wake up, manage them. Once I manage them a bit, I usually have something hot to drink, usually drink water first thing in the morning, you know, do all the healthy detoxing things. And then I'll sit to meditate uh, and read a a little bit, depending on um, where I'm at on an internal level. Sometimes meditation takes uh, primacy and other times reading does. Okay. All right. Now you're the first person I've ever had on all of my podcasts that uh, have, have brought up or mentioned kind of this seasonal structure. So mm-hmm. I'm a very curious individual. I've, I've never heard of this. So can you please just simply explain to us uh, what you mean by having like a, a seasonal structure to your, your life? Cause that's uh, new to me and, and sounds interesting. Yeah. So there's a few different like ways to conceptualize that. Um, since I work in the world of psychology and mental health and well-being. Um, one of the basic ways is to understand that you as a person have what's called a circadian rhythm. And that circadian rhythm is a part of your biological reality as being a human on a planet that does things in a solar system that does things. Um, and so following your circadian rhythms, getting in sync with how that works in the natural world can be incredibly helpful for you on a deep internal level. Um, that can be broken down into just like a daily process of when the sun rises, when the sun sets. Um, you're probably familiar with like Dr. Huberman. He talks a lot about this stuff. Um, you know, since I've been in the psychology world for probably 13 years or so, I learned about this stuff a long time ago. Uh, so that's one of the kind of basic assumptions and ways of making sense of it. If you get outside of that world, you get more into like the astrological world, which is takes you more into like how the planets work, how the moon works, how your body works in conjunction with those things. And, you know, with the natural phases of the planet, you know, especially here in Colorado, we have winter for sure. And we have summer for sure. And you get a little bit of spring and fall, depending on the year. And each of those um, natural world shifts do things to you um, from a, you know, very personal cellular level to a, you know, even bigger esoteric, uh, cosmic level. And it's, you know, when I say I follow the seasons, I try to very much be in tune with my body and the planet and how they are doing things. And as a conscious person, how can I get on board with how my body and the planet work so that I'm, you know, you know, in some ways optimizing my life, but also so that I'm creating a new paradigm for myself and my family. 
um, and not just constantly being on some sort of script that may or may not be the ultimately good thing for me as an individual. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that. Now, just one other quick question now, like uh, obviously once we, so I'm out in Iowa, so we, we definitely have seasons like uh, you guys do out in Colorado. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and of course uh, you know, once you get into the winter seasons, uh, it gets darker a lot sooner, like, you know, 4 PM, mm-hmm. 4 30. Uh, mm-hmm. and, it, and, and, and I, and I am very familiar with, you know, kind of the, the circadian rhythm and, and sleep patterns. So yeah. um, from my understanding, we're supposed to go to sleep when the sun sets and we're supposed to wake up when the sun rises, like that's the ideal, right. For how we've uh, been made or evolved, however you would like to word that. Mm-hmm. So for you, Mikey, do you kind of try to adjust your sleep, uh, you know, pattern around like this, the seasons or not necessarily quite that specific? Uh, it, it's a little loose, but definitely, you know, summer months, I'm definitely up earlier winter months. I'm definitely sleeping in more. Um, there's a really great book. I'm forgetting the author's name, but it's called, um, wintering. And it's a really great, just like call to action on some levels for us to reconsider what it means to follow the biological and, um, planetary reality of what it means to have winters. Um, and in the um, psychological and spiritual world, there's what's often referred to as the four directions. It's a native concept. Um, and the four directions have to do with north, south, east, and west. And each of those have a psychological reality, not just a you know, geographical context. Um, and so each season also tends to correlate with a direction. And so summer, uh, since that's what we're in, tends to be a very like... Um, if I'm remembering correctly, a very like Southern high energy, uh, getting things done, youthful sort of, um, vibe. And then you have things like, um, West and North that have more of a winter, a maturation process oriented kind of energy to them. Um, and so you can kind of tap into that as well. Awesome, man. Thanks for uh, sharing a little bit more in depth with that, uh, uh, seasonal structure. I love that. Now, uh, you kind of already brought up the book wintering. Um, mm-hmm. so the next question, Mikey is what's your favorite book or a book that you like to gift often? If there's more than one, please feel free to share. Cause for me, that would be a hard question to answer if it was just one. Right. Um, and then if you are a podcast listener or you like to tune into podcasts every once in a while, do you have a go-to podcast or, um, you know, something of that nature in terms of the, the podcasting world. So favorite book, book you like to gift uh, most often, and then uh, favorite uh, podcast or go-to podcast. Yeah. So for books, it, it's kind of funny. I, I kind of follow maybe a similar seasonal dynamic with that. Uh, so it's kind of funny to be like, oh yeah, I kind of do that too. Um, so in general, the book that I gift the most is a book called Iron John by a man named Robert Bly, who was one of my mentors. And Iron John, and since I work in the mental health world and I coach and, you know, therapize people and do all that stuff, it's a book that Robert wrote 
back in the early 90s. He's kind of what's known as like the founder of the men's movement. If you're familiar with men's work or men's groups or retreats and all that kind of stuff, his work really made that a thing. Uh, and his book, Iron John, was his sort of um, book about men. Uh, it, it's a very helpful book, I think, for more than just men. I think it applies to women as well. Anyone with a masculine sort of dynamic to themselves, which is everybody in different degrees. Uh, and Iron John, I give that book to every client. Um, and I recommend it to probably every friend. Um, what, what Robert does in that book is he really helps us see what it means to evolve and grow and heal uh, as men, especially. Um, and he says things that I don't think any other book has ever said. Uh, and he presents it in a way that I don't think anyone else ever has. Um, and so that book is huge. Um, I give that away probably more than anything. Uh, my favorite book is probably the road by Cormac McCarthy. And that is a, um, a fictional story that has a sort of like post apocalyptic vibe to it. Um, it's probably not the most fun book to read per se, cause it, it has a like weight to it, but that, I think that's what makes that book probably one of my favorites that I come back to is there is such a richness and a weight to the prose uh, in the story because it's just about us is a it's a story about a father and a son making their way across um the country having you know experienced the fallout of you know the collapse of society and it's kind of like a survival story but it's also more so a story about that connection uh, and it's brutally sad <laughs> uh, but it is yeah it just like yeah when I first started dating my fiance, she's like, what's a book that you'd want me to read? I was like, read this. And she read it. And she was like, fuck, why did you make me read that? I was like, it's so good. She's like, it really is. But man, it's sad. <laughs> um, and then um, podcast. I mentioned Andrew Huberman. I like him a lot. Um I've listened to pretty much everything he's done. Um, I used to really like Jordan Peterson a lot uh, when he, before he got big. Um, I don't have a real clear opinion of him right now. Um, uh, da, 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 da. Just trying to think on what's on my queue. There's a book called This Jungian Life, or I mean a podcast called This Jungian Life. It's a group of three different what's called Jungian analysts um, so people who come from the background in psychology of Carl Jung um, and that I love that podcast they do a really good job of speaking to much deeper human um, realities from that psychological lens and they also do dream analysis um, that's probably one of my favorite podcasts now that I think about it I do a lot. I don't listen to a ton of podcasts, but I do listen to a lot of like archival audio recordings of people teaching different things. So um, one person that I do a lot of that and he does have a podcast is a guy named Michael Mead. Um, and his podcast, I believe, is called Living Myth. And that's a really good one, too. Awesome. Now, I want to ask if you don't mind, you mentioned uh, Jordan Peterson 
Uh, I've never really listened to any of his stuff or gotten into his stuff just because uh, for my own my own reasons that we don't need to get sure. into right now. But you you sure. did uh, mention and and the reason why I'm asking about Jordan because of what you said and you said uh, you kind of used to be into his stuff uh, before he was popular and you don't really have an opinion about him currently. What do you mean by that? If you don't mind me asking. So my experience of learning from Jordan um, or Dr. Peterson was, you know, his earlier podcast and things that he put out into the world world were basically his lectures. So he was a he was, I believe, or maybe still is a professor at like the University of Toronto. Um, and basically, when he first started coming onto the scene, probably eight plus years ago, he would just repost his lectures. So his psychological lectures to his psychology students. Um, some of them were an hour long. Some of them were up to three hours long. Uh, and those lectures were full of just really, really solid um, psychological teaching. Um, really expansive thought, uh, really great education. And then, you know, he started to get into the world and do interviews and be featured on TV and doing all this other stuff. And my only critique is that he started to move away more from the psychological teaching education side. And he moved more into a rhetorical um, debate side of things. And I, once he started doing more of that, I just kind of was disinterested in it. I didn't really care to hear um, political oriented debates, even though I'm sure he has some helpful things to say. Uh, but again, I really liked his early educational stuff, which I think you can still find. Uh, and it's very obvious that it's his early educational stuff. It looks like it. It sounds like it. It's a little lower quality. Cool. Yeah. All right. Love it. Um, what life lesson, Mikey, have you been taught or have you learned in the last year? Now, if it's the last six months, if it's the last day, the last month, please, it doesn't have to be within the last year. It could be a couple of years. But just within recent times, what life lesson have you been taught or have you learned? Uh, the thing that comes to mind is this um, process that I've been in as an individual around valuing creativity, artistry, expression in that form um, as probably the ultimate value in life. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, myself as a creative person learned throughout my story and throughout my, you know, being in this world, uh, that creativity, uh, self-expression, things like that were things you did on the side. So for me, I'm a musician and a little bit of a writer and those things were always, you know, how do you fit that in, yeah. you know? You can't make money doing music. Maybe you could if you're a writer, but you, you know, you better really be top notch. You know, all those kind of financial uh, wounded ways of um, experiencing what it means to be human. Mm -hmm. And what I've really pushed into pretty hardcore for myself over the past year is that I want to trust the creative process and the beauty of what happens for individuals, including myself, when you lean more into creativity as a genuinely uh, healing modality and believe that 
it has just as much weight, if not more weight than our, you know, prototypical ways of engaging health and well-being. Hmm. Um, so what I've learned is that there's far more power and validity to advocating for living in uh, a creative sort of way of being than there is our typical evidence-based uh, cultural norm ways of doing things. Okay. Now, can I ask you, may I ask you, Mikey, how have you kind of discovered what you just shared with us? And I'm very interested and curious about this, uh, along with the, the seasonal structure we talked about earlier, because um, I'll be 36 in July. And I know I, I, I consider myself very like reflective and, and a thinker, right? And I enjoy writing and writing is a big part of my life. And, and, and um, but when I look back on my life growing up in Iowa and being educated in a public school in a small town in Iowa, uh, our artistic um, opportunities were art class and music class or some sort of like singing class when we were growing up in, in public education. Uh, I used to get kicked out of uh, music class or singing class because I was, I was talking and I, I just, I was a, a little boy. I wasn't interested in, you know, singing do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti and all this <laughs> stuff, right? Opening up my, right. you know, windpipes and singing and just not my thing. Art class in terms of like drawing and painting and kind of the normal, typical art stuff that we're taught growing up in public schools in our country. I wasn't, I wasn't good at that. I wasn't really into that. The point that I'm trying to get at, and I, and I, I would like you to kind of like uh, just expound a little bit more here in a second. The point that I'm trying to get at is I've, as I've gotten older and I do realize that there is creativity within me. And I personally believe that we were made and we were created to create. Uh, and that is within me. Like the podcasting, I look at this as a creative outlet for myself. I love it. I'm very passionate about it. It's a side passion project of mine. Uh, so I've realized this, but then looking back, I'm like, man, like I had no opportunities really at all when I was growing up to express my creativity in the way that I'm creative. It's you've got to fit into this box or this box. And if you don't, well, I guess you're a jock or, uh, you know, an academic or a troublemaker, good luck to you. You know what I mean? So I say all that just to kind of say to you, I'm fascinated by what you just shared with us. So would you please uh, share with us how you um, came to this conclusion or how you're uh, learning all this currently? Yeah, well, I think I've come to this conclusion because as I've been on my own personal growth and healing journey, I've been moving more and more and more into things that are outside of the box, as well as things that feel more authentic and intuitively guided. And a part of that journey for me has been healing and um, resolving trauma and becoming the best version of myself. And I think kind of like you said at the beginning, the, the, the pursuit of something more. Um, and that pursuit of something more has led me to continue to break down over and over again in myself, in my life, with my clients in, in all kinds of different ways all these concepts and ways of being that ultimately don't lead to true, true, deep soul fulfillment in this life. Um, 
and being, you know, more skeptical. I've always been kind of a questioning person. I've always been someone who's pursued that more um, and felt that in my bones. And as I've healed and deconditioned myself from my upbringing, from the cultural norms around me, um, the things that I was taught to value and given myself more permission to soulfully engage my life, it's been one of those things where the more and more I see it, the more and more I feel that, um, like you said, we're meant to create. Um, and the more that that's beyond just like a hobby and that's beyond just a side project, because I've done side projects and things all my life. I've, you know, been a colorist for comic books. I've built custom guitars for people. I've done recording and, um, other things like that for music. And, you know, I still do that now. Um, I've drawn at different times. I've written poetry, which I still do every now and then. Um, but those have always been like, how do I fit those things into life? And, um, now it's like, no, I'm not going to fit those things in. That is life. Um, and that's what makes life what it is. And, you know, like you said, so many of us don't have opportunities because the way our culture has lived out of scarcity and woundedness, which has sucked the joy out of living through removing things like the arts and creativity as a primary way of being. And so you have to make your money, you have to get your degree, you have to sustain your job, you have to do all these things, quote unquote, have to, right? Um, and that's how you make life work. And if you don't do that, well, maybe it'll be okay for you, maybe it won't. You have to be really special, you know, that's kind of the cultural message, right? You have to be really special if that's going to work for you. You know, if you're going to be a, a writer, you know, you better be really unique and have something really cool for in order to, you know, survive off of that. Or if you're going to be a musician like me, it's like, you better have a really good this, this, or this, or be really talented for that to work. And I think all of those messages, and I've seen this throughout my career and my own journey, all those messages are just people's wounds that are manifest into a concrete way of seeing and engaging the world. And so by healing those wounds, you, um, sorry, someone's, driving by really loud can't, can't even hear it you're good <laughs> okay cool it's just like whoa um so sorry about that okay. um, but yeah that's just a manifestation of all the wounds in which you know we don't feel like we can be who we really want to be and i i truly do believe and i've learned and i'm pushing more into the fact that you know creativity and um the arts are actually the most transformative thing that you can engage in to help yourself become the most full version of yourself. Beautiful, man. Um, you, you've mentioned uh, like healing and wounds and things like that. I, I'm not going to ask you about that right now. I want to get into your backstory a little bit more, but mm -hmm. that is a topic that I actually, from going to your Instagram and, and uh, checking out a few things before our conversation, I, I had written down. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward mm -hmm. to that, but um, let's finish up these uh, conversational uh, starter questions here, Mikey. Uh, the sure. last one I'd like to ask you, and then we're going to dig into your your upbringing and your your childhood, your backstory a little bit more. Uh, do you have a favorite quote, mantra, or word? Um, one of my favorite quotes is from a person named Howard Thurman, who was Martin Luther King Jr.'s mentor. Um, and his he's you've probably seen this quote before, um, but it says 
go and do what makes you come alive because what the world needs is people who have come alive. Um, and, or maybe there's, maybe I misphrased that, but it's like, don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive because what the world needs is people who are alive. Um, and that's so, it's so multi-layered. Uh, and I think that's what I love about Howard Thurman as a person. He was a, a reverend in the South in the, you know, twenties, thirties, forties, um, and even into his later years. Um, but you know, that idea of coming alive and stepping into that and living out of that place is more than just passion. It's more than just preference. It's actually a deep sense of like calling and mission and intuition that I believe if we all can lean into that, um, that short little phrase that he's famous for saying packs a punch into helping us find our way. Excellent, man. Okay. Uh, let's transition Mikey into, uh, your childhood and your upbringing. So, uh, I'd like to just kind of have you share where you actually grew up. Like, you know, uh, did you grow up in Colorado? Where did you grow up? Like what state, uh, and then paint the picture for us, if you don't mind, of uh, what was your childhood like? Um, you know, did you play sports? Uh, were you just uh, reading and writing and uh, painting and playing music all the time? Uh, what mm -hmm. was academics like for you? Um, just share, uh, you know, what your childhood was like for us up to about high school, and then we'll move on from there. Great. Is it okay if we pause real quick? Yep, absolutely. Let me uh, Let me do that really quick. So I was born and raised in Augusta, Georgia, so the South, um, and that's where I lived for uh, 17 years or so, um, and then I went to college uh, at a school called Georgia Tech for about a year and a half, and then I transferred to a school in Nashville called Belmont University, and then that led me out here to Denver, Colorado after I lived in Nashville for a little while. Um, but my upbringing, um, so I was raised, uh, in the South, in the Bible belt, um, with all that that came with. And that was a huge part of my identity as a young person. You know, I grew up with a grandfather who was a pastor with another, you know, family system. Um, you know, both sides of my family were deeply involved in the church and in those communities. Uh, which was pretty much, um, you know, growing up in the South, looking back on it, it's like, if you wanted community or if you wanted to try and have community, you kind of had to be a part of some sort of church thing. Cause that's just what everybody did. It's just the way of life down there. I think obviously that's changed over time. Um, but that was a huge part of my upbringing. Um, there's a lot of crap in there and there's a lot of good stuff as well. Um, so it's a mixed bag of some really bizarre traumas and things, as well as just, um, some images and experiences of, you know, at least a safe community to some degree, um, depending at where I was and what was happening. Um, but as a, as a kiddo, um, yeah, I grew up, I, I played sports. My grandfather, my maternal grandfather was a, was pretty much like a, a father figure for me. Uh, and he advocated for me in so many different ways and got me into baseball and basketball and and things like that. So I did a lot of that growing up. 
he passed when I was 10 and that really upended my life in a, um, in a really significant way. And, you know, through high school, I played football and picked up lacrosse, um, carried lacrosse into college for a hot second before I transferred, um, which was a really cool sport. I really loved lacrosse. When I found it, it was kind of like, what is this? It is a great combination of all the things that I like, and I'm really good at it. Um, so I did play sports. Uh, I was an avid drawer and reader as a kid too. Um, you know, I don't know if you had this happen for you when you were younger, but there was like these things called book fairs that elementary schools would put on. And I remember, you know, getting so stoked and trying to save money for book fairs so that I could like get all the murder mystery kind of like creepy books you could buy. I probably owned every goosebumps book that came yeah. out plus yeah. everything else in between that was like that. And I just like, I would read, read the heck out of them. Um, um, so those were super fun. I drew a lot was, was super huge into like comic books, X-Men, Batman, all that kind of stuff as a kiddo and would try to draw the comics or try to draw the characters and actually got pretty good at it for a hot second, which is kind of fun to look back on. Um, but as a whole, I, um, so the house I grew up in was on a kind of like a floodplain hill sort of thing. So the house was like on a hill. My grandparents lived next to us. So they were in the next house. Uh, and it kind of sloped downwards to uh, uh, a flood area where a creek ran through and things like that. So I grew up technically on about three and a half acres of um, creek and forest. And so, you know, as a kiddo, I was outside all the time, as much as I could be um, running through the creek, climbing trees, building forts. Um, one of my favorite movies as a kid was the Robin Hood um, Prince of Thieves. And me and my friends would build like some of the Robin Hood esque things in, in the trees. We'd, you know, my grandfather was a architect and a construction worker. So he, um, he had wood and lumber and stuff all the time. So we would steal it and nail two by fours into trees to make little platforms and stuff. And yeah, it was super fun. Okay. Now <clears throat> what was, uh, the academic school side of things like for you, Mikey, was it something that you enjoyed? Was it something you did because we all have to up to a certain point, uh, touch on that for a, a minute, if you don't mind, please. Sure. You know, when I think back on my school years, um, school was one of those things where I don't ever have any memories of not liking it, but I don't ever have it. I don't have any major memories of being like, yeah, I get to go to school. So I, I was kind of in like a neutral place where it's like, okay, I'm doing school. That's what we do. Um, academically speaking, I definitely excelled at certain things and had a hard time with other things. I was a, a good student overall, um, never really got bad grades, but I do remember, especially in like middle school and high school, having to work hard at certain things and other things coming a lot more naturally, um, which is a part of why I went to Georgia Tech for my first year and a half or so, uh, cause I was really good at math and science and that came naturally, um, uh, so the school thing, yeah, it, you know, school was like where my friends were, uh, the school I went to, all the schools I went to were within walking distance of the house um, I lived in and grew up in, um, high school, middle school, elementary school. So walking to school was the normal thing. Um, 
yeah, a lot of my friends again were there. Um, and in general, as far as academic performance and things goes, I don't remember ever being too, too stressed out about school or things like that. The social side of things definitely was a lot harder for me. Um, in regards to just, you know, I've always been a kind of person that doesn't quite fit in anywhere, but kind of fits in everywhere at the same time. So it's like, I have lots of friends and acquaintances in all kinds of different paths, but I don't, I, but I've never really had like a solid, like this is my pack or my tribe. I always kind of have floated in between. And that was even true as a kiddo. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, now I, I want to, I want to ask you about, uh, your dad and I'm asking you this because I saw again, some stuff on your Instagram, uh, you know, in terms of like, uh, you know, like kind of like the, in, in terms of like the healing and, and some things mm-hmm. maybe that you experienced, uh, you know, from your dad. So, uh, I, I want to pull back that layer, uh, if you're sure. okay with that, because, uh, I'm assuming that was a huge catalyst as you got older and you uh, trying to figure out who you were and who you are at this point, right? So touch on your dad and what was that relationship like? And uh, I, I would just like you to share as much as you uh, feel like you want to. Sure. Yeah. I mean, if you jump on an Instagram and look at my stuff through my bio and all that stuff, obviously I'm showing up as a therapist and this and that. So it's pretty obvious that my focal point is a lot on healing what I call or what is called the father wound or the masculine within, meaning that we all have, you know, personal dynamics that have developed in us as a result of our uh, upbringing tied to our personal father, as well as to, you know, what Carl Jung referred to as like the archetypal father, which is something we all have to learn to navigate. Um, But my own personal father is not a good person for me. Um, and I would even, you know, make a judgment statement and say, I don't think he's a good person in general. Um, and a part of that comes out of my experiences of him as well as things that I've heard and, you know, had relayed to me in the years, uh, since me setting up boundaries and separating from him in my twenties. So I don't have a relationship with my father and I haven't, and I don't plan on it. Um, when I was, you know, when I was younger, you know, he was the kind of stereotypical American dad, spent all his time working, was very consumed with doing the job. He was a small business owner, um, which I have compassion for because that's what I am too. And I can understand the strain of what that looks like to try to make something outside the norm work. Um, but he was very much consumed with work and appearances and status and those kind of things. Um, and so I don't have a ton of memories of him from when I'm younger. Cause I don't think he was really that much around. Uh, some of the memories I do have aren't great because they're full of things like criticism and, um, really unhealthy expectations, um, things like that. And then when I was probably around 14, 15, um, my father's alcoholism became very much an overt thing. Um, as I've done my own healing and worked through different things in my life, it's, it's been interesting to have memories present themselves and recognize that his alcoholism was a very hidden thing for a very long time. Um, but when I got into middle school, it became more and more overt. 
And then especially when I was in probably about 15, that's when it like kicked up all the notches. And so from 15 to 18, um, my dad's alcoholism pretty much destroyed my family um, and introduced a lot of chaos and a lot of pain into um, my living dynamic uh, and yeah, threw a bunch of things in that were just not okay. Um, and then the residual effects of that lasted for years. Um, once my parents divorced and, you know, went their separate ways and things like that. So a big part of my own healing journey has been, you know, what does it look like to heal, um, as a person who is the child of, a an addict, uh, as well as a child of someone who has, you know, really clear, uh, overt narcissistic personality issues. Um, that word gets used and thrown around a lot lately, but there's a very clear difference between someone who's just selfish and someone who has a very clear personality disorder. And my father would definitely fit the category of the personality disorder. Um, and so in that sense, yeah, a lot of my healing journey has been helping my body, my mind, my soul, my heart, you know, cleared from the effects of those things, um, as well as, you know, reconditioning myself into how I want to show up and to break out of those patterns. Because uh, one of the things that happens for, for people, as I experienced in my life, as well as I've seen with so many clients, is that when you grow up with a dysfunctional family or an addict parent or multiple parents or however that works, it creates dynamics in you as a person and in the world around you that push and pull on you in ways that are very hard to navigate. If you're not doing some sort of disentangling work on a deeper level for yourself to break those cycles. Uh, and that's been a big part of what I've done in my life is break those cycles, create a new life for myself and, you know, in a very big way, get free of those familial dynamics as well as those personal, um, pain points that were, you know, influenced by my father's impact on me. Hmm. Um, uh, one other thing I want to touch on in terms of uh, some things that you mentioned about your childhood, Mikey, and then I want to kind of transition into uh, post high school. Uh, you mentioned growing up in the South and uh, having a very strong religious, uh, you know, influence, I guess uh, would probably be the best way to put it. So, uh, I'd like you to touch on that uh, because yeah. I also grew up uh, in the church uh, here in the Midwest. Uh, my dad's dad uh, was a pastor. So my dad's a PK. He wants nothing to do with God to this day. Uh, so I grew up in an amazing home, right? An amazing mom, amazing dad. I could never ask for, for anything better. But when you're growing up, as, as, as you know, you, you're, you're, you're trying to figure things out like the best that you know as a kid. So I have a dad that stays home on Sundays whose dad was a pastor because he doesn't want to go to church. Uh, he wants nothing to do with God. I, I tried talking to him when I was a kid about it. Trust me, <laughs> he doesn't want anything to do with that. Uh, and then I have a mom who gave my younger brother, Brett and I, an invitation and I'm so thankful she she gave us this invitation. She said, Quentin, uh, Brett, 
If you would like to go to church with me on Sundays, you're more than welcome. If you'd like to stay home with your dad, you can you can do that as well. She never forced us to go to church. And I'm so mm -hmm. thankful for that. I'm not going to go any further, but I, you know, had ha had and have had quote unquote American Christian experiences this is the point that I'm trying to get at. Good, mm -hmm. bad, and probably everything in between, probably much like you. So would you please expound a little bit more and share a little bit more in depth, Mikey, uh, your Christian American experiences when you were growing up uh, and, and, and how has that influenced or impacted you in adulthood? Like, where are you at now with God and kind of things that you learned growing up in terms of the religious side of things? Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, <clears throat> there's that common statement that like you ask a, a fish is swimming next to another fish and he says, how's the water today? And then one fish says, what's water? And it's like, yeah, you're in it. Um, or, or whatever the joke is. I'm, I'm yeah. really bad at <laughs> relaying yeah, jokes. I, it's, it's good though. I got that. That's, that's a good yeah. one. I like it. <laughs> um, but that's kind of like how it was for me. It's, it's like, if you would have asked me probably prior to maybe even like 15, 16, like if there were other options for life, I wouldn't have known because it was just the, it was the environment that I grew up in. Like, like you, I had a grandfather that was a pastor and my dad was a PK. Um, but you know, my whole family system was very much enmeshed in the whole church world. That was their community we spent probably two to three days there. Um, when I was in high school, I even worked for the church for a little bit. I was like a groundskeeper, which was actually, a, you know, a really great, like first job, you know, pay a 15 year old kid money to cut grass and mop floors. It's not, not that big of a deal. Um, but my, uh, my experience of it growing up, you know, when I think back on it, there's some stuff I'm like, wow, that's fucked up. And there's some other stuff I'm like, well, that's not bad. You know, it's like we had a consistent place we went to. That's where my friends were. Um, you know, there was a, I grew up in a church system that was a little bit more trying to be hip kind of thing, trying to be cool. So it was a little less restrictive in the sense of like uh, something like a Catholicism or whatever. Um, you know, when I was, when I got older and, you know, I was pushing more into music and stuff, I played guitar at church and things like that. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was the ocean that I grew up in. So I didn't really know anything different. Um, and it was kind of just a given that that's what you did. You went to church. It was never an option not to, but it was probably never an option that I necessarily would have considered because it's like, well, what am I going to do? Stay at home while everyone, like literally everyone, my friends, my neighbors, my family is going to this place to do these things. Um, and so in that sense, you know, as I've grown and gotten out of that system, because now, you know, I, I have a very clear, very strong opinion about how modern Christianity works and I don't agree or align with it in any way. Um, uh, a lot of that has to do with my own healing journey, but also has a lot to do with what I've learned and grown into as a, as a person. Uh, I explored existential philosophy for a really long time and I love it. And there's a very powerful um, perspective from ex uh, existential philosophy that says that you have what's called existential responsibility. 
uh, and that it is your job per se as a human to take full engagement with that. And things like churches, communities, systems, political parties, you name it, anything that's like a sociological structure across the board um, tends to have some sort of bargaining device inherently in it for helping people wrestle with the existential reality of what it means to be human. And so, you know, you go to a church and a church says, this is how you become a good person and this is what you do and this is what you don't do. And so instead of having to wrestle with your human life, you participate in a structure and a system that says, well, this is how you do it. And you are therefore alleviated of a certain degree of existential angst uh, in that exchange. And I don't think that's a helpful thing for anybody. Um, but as a, as a young person, I, I've always been a deeply spiritual person. Hence why I think creativity, like we said earlier, is becoming something that I'm learning to lean into more. Um, I don't think you, I think it's very strange that we live in the world and the cosmos that we do and that there are people and things in the world that aren't quote unquote spiritual to some degree. It's kind of bizarre to stop for a moment and think that we're on a planet hurtling through space and not be like, what is happening? How is this happening? I have no clue. That's crazy. Um, and so in that sense of spirituality, um, I have a, I have a sort of faith in my own self. That's less about a God or a, um, being and more of a energy and a vital force as it's kind of communicated um, in the yogic world. I've done a lot of training um, in yoga and that was a very helpful reorienting and learning phase for me around spirituality and, and things like that. Um, but yeah. Excellent, man. I appreciate you uh, touching on some of this stuff. Cause it's, it's, it's fascinating, man, uh, how mm -hmm. as human beings, we're all very different, but there's a lot of unique uh, similarities with, with uh, all of us as well, of course. So um, yeah. seeing some of those in my own life uh, it's, it's, it's very interesting to me. So let's uh, you touched on going to uh, after high school. Well, first of all, before we get into going to Georgia tech uh, and then uh, transferring to a different school, what, what were your thoughts, Mikey, in terms of when you were like in high school, most of us, not all of us, but most of us start thinking about because we're kind of forced to, right, uh, in the systems we grow up in, we're kind of forced to or we start thinking uh, about what we want to do when we get older to make money, to pay the bills, uh, such and such. So did you have any thoughts of what you want to do, quote unquote, when you grew up or what you were going to do to pay the bills when you got out of high school or graduate from college? If so, mm -hmm. what were you thinking about in high school? Then you went to Georgia Tech, talk about that, and then talk about maybe how uh, things either started to align uh, in regards to what you wanted to do or be uh, when you grew up uh, from those high school years or how they started to kind of shift or change uh, in college, post-college, uh, as your uh, evolution story started to unfold. Yeah. Yeah, so for me growing up, I don't, really remember being like this is what i want to be when i grew up it's like i wanted to be indiana jones or i wanted to be batman you know it's like the concept of being a certain thing as a job didn't really land with me which i think kind of is 
has stuck in some ways. Uh, and it still is something that like I have in myself, um, even now, but, you know, as I got into college and I, I went to a school that was actually a really good high school that was kind of a part of what's called the university of Georgia system and was like a college preparatory school. So, you know, you got into, you went to the high school, which was, you know, like very many other high schools in the area. And the goal was prepare you for college. So even in high school, you know, freshman year through senior year, I took what was called like AP classes uh, that gave you college credit or could be applied towards college credit. Da, 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 da. Um, and so, you know, as I saw what I was good at, saw what I was interested in. And then also I mentioned that my grandfather was like an architect and a uh, construction worker or a builder. Um, that kind of started to come forward for me. And that's, that's kind of also an interesting thing to reflect on because, you know, I was getting really into music. Obviously I was playing high school sports, but I was also getting really good at the guitar. And so there was this dynamic of like, Oh, I want to like be in a band and I want to like be a musician and I want to do this. But then there was also like, well, how are you going to make money? And, and then I was also just really good at, uh, mathematics and things. So it's like, well, what if I like pursue that? So I started in a um, pre-engineering program with Georgia Tech that was focused on leading to a architecture deg degree. Um, and so that was kind of like the path I was on. My family approved of it. Um, an interesting thing about my family, my parents in particular, is they, my dad definitely had opinions for sure of what he thought was valid or wasn't. Um, but my mom was kind of just like, do whatever you want, kind of a thing. Um, she didn't really have much of a like forceful energy in regards to anything. Um, still doesn't. Um, and in that sense, so it's like, okay, well, I got in to the program with Georgia Tech. I was like, cool, let's do it. Um, started doing it, was really good at it. It went really well. But, you know, also, you know, me getting into me going through high school and then getting into college was, you know, probably some of the most tumultuous chaotic years of my life because of the fact of my father's alcoholism and everything that that was doing in the foreground and background. And so getting into college, you know, I couldn't get to college fast enough. I was like, I got to get out of here. I got to get to college. I want to do this. And so as I got into college, into the, the swing of things, I loved it. I did really good. I academic, academically had a scholarship. All those things were going really well. Um, but as I continued to follow that path, that like feeling of more kept eating away at me. And some, in some senses, it was never bad. You know, I had some opportunities to, to sing, to play guitar, to do these things while I was in college. I led a band. Uh, I would, you know, help people write songs. I had a friend and a roommate who was a songwriter and, that started to feel more like what I wanted to do. And so, you know, wrestling with the angst of who do I really want to be versus, you know, what do I want to do versus what am I good at versus, you know, what really feels like it's me coming forward uh, led me to transfer schools. And I went to a school called Belmont university, which is known for being a music school. And I uh, completed a dual degree program there in um theology philosophy and music performance mm. so i studied music engineering 
music theory, some of that stuff, which I've forgotten a lot of. <laughs> and then I also studied theology as a, as a general degree, um, which had a heavy philosophical influence in it as well. Um, yeah. Okay. Now, um, once you, uh, okay. I, I I'm fascinated by this, uh, this inner pull that you're talking about. Uh, so we'll, we'll come back to that. So, uh, once you graduated from, uh, Belmont university, uh, how did life kind of unfold for you? Like walk us through that for, for a little bit here, Mikey. Yeah. So my time in Nashville and my time at Belmont specifically opened me up to a lot of really interesting opportunities. It was also a very hard season in my life because I was on my own in a very real way. You know, I was still railing on an internal level from just all the trauma I had experienced with my family. Um, so there's a lot going on under the surface, but one of those things with that, like that inner longing was just like, you know, feeling and seeing and sensing that life could be different. And I had some really awesome opportunities in Nashville through Belmont to like try and do different things that were a little bit outside the box. Um, like working at an orphanage for a little bit of time in a summer project through the school at, in Juarez, Mexico, like wasn't a big thing. Um, working on different music projects, doing Habitat for Humanity work. Um, one of the most significant experiences I had through Belmont was by going through a what's called chaplain internship at Vanderbilt Hospital. So basically what I did was I went to the hospital with a crew of other students under the guidance and direction of the primary um, chaplain or, you know, like, psychotherapist basically at the hospital and sit with people who were going through treatments and who were hospitalized. And I worked specifically in the cancer ward. So my job was to sit with cancer patients every week for, you know, as long as they wanted or needed just to be with them. Mm. Um, and that really opened my eyes into like what it meant to show up in the world and what options were available for people and what people needed to help them. And that's what launched me into the psychology world. Um, but you know, when I'm going through my degree and being in Nashville and my time after school was, yeah, it was pretty tumultuous. I had a lot of really great experiences, but I also was like grinding away. Um, was pretty poor, um, was trying to do things, trying to find my way. Uh, tried lots of things, um, had a bunch of different jobs, um, trying to just make ends meet, met a bunch of really great people. Um, and then eventually through that process was just like, yeah, this isn't quite it. And then that launched me into uh, pursuing my master's degree in clinical mental health or psychology. Okay. Now I want to ask you about, uh, you know, kind of going back to your childhood and what we've already touched on specifically with your dad and his alcoholism and, and the wounds that you, uh, you know, uh, kind of obtained through, through those experiences. Uh, now, oftentimes when we have these, uh, you know, unaddressed wounds, uh, and, and, and internal turmoil at some point, uh, from my own personal experience, probably, you know, when we are that college age, when we're away from mom and dad, we're away from, uh, 
the system, so to speak, we grew up in, and we're we're searching, we're trying to find out who we are, where where do we fit in, like what what's 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 life all about? That's when some of these wounds can really start festering, and 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 we can maybe uh, take some unhealthy uh, routes in terms of trying to deal with all this stuff, you know, that we don't even really know what it is or that it's there. Um, mm-hmm. So, did you experience some of that? I mean, did you did you party? Did you get into drugs? Did you drink? Did you uh, live uh, kind of a wild life at any point, um, trying to cope with some of your younger years, or did you know better? Would you touch on that, please, Mikey? Yeah, I, I would say I didn't necessarily quote unquote know better, but I think because I'm such a sensitive and intuitive and empathic person, a lot of that stuff, especially having an alcoholic father, didn't feel safe. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the things that I I have I experience is I went in the opposite direction. So, you know, I think when you're when you grow up with these things, which I think everybody does on some level, especially in those younger years, like you're talking about, you kind of have this like push or pull. It's like, will you go this way into like a screw it, rebellious sort of mode? Or will you go this way into more of a like perfectionistic performance, you know, be safe, quote unquote, kind of role. And I definitely did that. So, you know, how that looked in my teen years was definitely like being at the church a lot, you know, being a good kid, not getting in trouble, you know, being basically using my performance as a way to protect myself. Uh, And I think that's a really powerful statement, not only for, you know, people who've had experiences like me, but just when you think about it in general, and especially since you mentioned you work in the fitness world, I think there's a lot of that that happens is people pursue health and wellness and fitness and quote unquote performance or optimization as a way to try and protect themselves from the things that don't feel good or feel, you know, like they elicit shame. And so I definitely did that in a, in a way of, you know, being the hard worker, being the good kid, never getting in trouble, um, not going to parties, not dabbling in things. I think on one level, because I was viscerally afraid of them because I saw who my father was and what that had happened when substances, you know, ruled someone. Um, But then too, like I said, I'm a very highly, empathic and sensitive person and substances tend to just period period not go well with my body um so i dug in to just working really hard um when i was in school i took 18 credit hours every semester and i worked a part-time full-time ish job um And then I participated in everything else I could in between, you know, I led groups of things. I did things. um, And in a very strange, but like kind of um, synchronistic way, when I was in college, um, my first years of school, I was exposed to the work of a person named Joseph Campbell and therefore to the work of um, one of my mentors, Robert Bly, um, in my probably around 20, 19, 20 year old. And that those books, those writings really called to me. Um, and there, you know, in the world that I grew up in and the world I was in, there was a, uh, a little bit of like a young men's, uh, sort of group that I was able to connect with basically one of my friends in college dad was like an outdoor enthusiast um but also like 
was interested in doing this personal work kind of stuff uh, to be a good man or to be like a good Christian man or something like that. And so luckily enough, especially going through what I went through, that kind of was there to some degree. Um, and so I got to spend time with my friends and their fathers. We went on a few like quote unquote retreats. They would talk about things like uh, things like Robert Bly said and other people said, and they were asking questions about like, how do you heal? Which was pretty profound. It did have a heavy Christian Christianese influence on it, which, you know, fit with my worldview at the time and was what I knew. So it wasn't too weird looking back on it. There's some, it's like, Oh, that was kind of, kind of weird. Um, but that was something during those years that helped kind of hold me in a space where even though I was grinding away and didn't have support and was doing a lot of my own, I did have this idea and some personal experience of like, Oh, there's something out there where dudes are actually trying to be good and you can be a guy and it not be a bad thing. And you don't have to necessarily be perfect all the time. Um, and so that really helped me a lot. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, now earlier you said, uh, you, when we were talking about your younger years, you never, you never kind of, you never like really fit in, you kind of, fit in kind of everywhere you kind of maybe like a chameleon almost but you didn't really have like your groups so to speak mm-hmm. now did that uh um did that influence or affect you when you were in college and when you were stepping into adulthood and manhood did not having that group or kind of having that identity from when you were younger outside of kind of like the religious influence did that have an effect on you at all um, and do you feel like, uh, you quote unquote fit in now, or is that something that you enjoy and embrace not fitting in and not kind of going, uh, with the flow of everything and everybody else, Mikey? Yeah. I mean, I would say it's a double-edged sword. And I think it always has been. Uh, and I think part of the reason why I've never really fit in is because I've been highly empathic. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I had friends in every group and, I connected with people in every group um, because I connected with the people and the externals or the socioeconomics or the preferences or the whatevers didn't really hit me all that hard. Now, obviously when I was younger, there was probably more of a bias towards certain things because again, like I said, I was unconsciously pursuing like safety through performance and being a certain way, which I think everybody does. Um, and so in that sense, you know, there's definitely things where it's like, I wasn't a huge friend with all the stoner kids, but one of my best friends growing up was a kind of stoner kid. Um, I wasn't super into maybe like some of the darker gothy stuff, but like I had the emo haircut and I liked, you know, Creed and, and stuff like that. I played lacrosse and football I was editor of like the high school art magazine. I acted in a few plays. I sang in chorus. I played guitar. Uh, I worked on cars. I rebuilt a 69 Camaro when I was in high school. Um, So it's like I was all over the place because I just had so many interests. I still do. Um, And because of that, I think it took some of the edge off of like not quite fitting in because I always had something to fall back on that felt really good to me. 
Um, but at the same time, like I said, it's a double-edged sword because I still don't quite fit in mm-hmm. to any group and I'm totally okay with that. Um, I, as I've grown, as I've matured, as I've stepped into much deeper ways of engaging with myself and in relationship in the world, I've seen that a lot of things that people do are fairly shallow, um, not meaning to sound like a jerk, uh, but a lot of things that we get caught up in trying to like make our lives work or to make money or to feel accepted mm-hmm. end up being kind of shallow. Yeah. Um, and they're, and they end up kind of leaving a lot of people feeling kind of empty and, you know, my experience has been, I felt empty because I look around and I don't see people that are maybe on the level or at the place or the level of curiosity that I am, mm-hmm. as opposed to looking at my life and being like, what I'm doing sucks and I'm miserable and I've done all these things that aren't fulfilling. It's, it's been more so of like, I really feel good about who I am and I really feel good about the, the journey I've taken to some degree. There's definitely some big shame spots. Um, and I don't understand why people don't call me back or, you know, why is it that I was really good friends with a lot of these people and then all of a sudden I wasn't. And then why was it that, you know, that's been like where the double-edged sword is. And that's always been, a wrestling thing from when I was younger to now. Um, what, and I think it will be to some degree, um, because I'm human and I want relationships that are fulfilling and meaningful. Um, and I also understand that people have their journeys and, um, I've chosen a path in life that's fairly, uh, outside of the box, um, and asks a lot of questions about things and tries a lot of things that most people would probably never think about doing. Um, And I'm okay with that because like I said earlier, like we're on a planet hurtling through a cosmos and I'm a human. So that's weird. So let's have fun and like push into all the edges of all the things and, and just see what can happen. Um, So I've, I have a lot more peace about it now, but you know, it's never been a quote unquote fun experience to be like, Oh, I wonder why I don't quite fit in or I wonder why I feel like I connect with somebody, but at some point it fizzles out. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And I, I applaud you, dude. There's uh there's not a lot of people out there that are willing to kind of uh 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 I guess push against the the edges of life. They just kind of like conform mm-hmm. and get, get complacent, um settle yeah. and uh life is what it's gonna be. So uh I, mm-hmm. I applaud you and I, I respect it, Mikey. Uh let's uh let's kind of uh, I wanna kind of start digging in here. I we've already been going for about an hour. So I want to be respectful of your time, but I do want to push into, I wanted to, I do want to dig into a little bit here, um, how you got into the, uh, 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 the kind of the therapist coaching psychology side of things. You just lightly touched on it in terms of maybe some of your college experiences, then you went and got your master's degree. Uh, but, um, why don't you kind of bring us up to date? Um, when you started pursuing your master's degree, uh, I know there's probably a lot packed into that post master's degree, but bring us up to speed, like the the therapy and the psychology and the coaching and working with guys. And like, how did you mm-hmm. really dive into uh, this space uh, that you're currently in? Yeah. So like I mentioned, when I was in college, I had that opportunity to work at the hospital and that kind of blew my world open. And because I had, you know, been, in a degree program that was asking bigger questions, you know, things about philosophy, things about theology, there was an interesting like, okay, well, what merges these things together? 
And my upbringing definitely was like, well, you need to be a pastor or you need to be this. And I was like, I definitely wrestled with that. It's like, do I really want to do that? Is that who I really want to be? Does that really answer the questions? And it didn't. Um, and then as I continued to read, like I said, I was exposed to Joseph Campbell and Robert Bly, who come from the world of Carl Jung, or again, what's called the Jungian perspective. And so I just kind of followed that. And that led me into pursuing psychology, uh, getting my master's degree, seeing that like, I, I felt like I was, you know, being initiated by the world into showing up differently and helping people in a different way. And because I grew up in the South in such a heavy religious world, I didn't know therapy even existed. Um, I sure as heck didn't know much about psychology at all, if anything, until I really got into college and started reading stuff. Mm -hmm. And even then it wasn't, a, even then it wasn't very common. Mm -hmm. It's like people went to therapy because they were abusive or they got a DUI. It wasn't a personal growth and transformation process that I know it to be. Um, and I've, as that's how I show up with my clients is, you know, this is an opportunity for you to initiate into and come into who you want to be. And we get to use this process and these tools and this way of being to help you fully unlock, um, which is rad. And I've seen amazing things happen. Um, but getting into that was a lot of like asking questions again of like, this doesn't seem to be really doing it. Spirituality or Christianity isn't doing it. Um, the medical world isn't doing it. Um, the things I'm feeling and the things I'm seeing just don't seem to come together. And interestingly, interestingly enough, um, psychology seemed to offer that as a field. And I think on a deep level, I think a lot of people get pulled into the psychological field uh, because it seems to offer some interesting merger of science and spirituality, of embodiment and soul of creativity and compassion uh, that no other thing does um, when it's done right, right? And there's a lot of critiques I have of the modern psychology system. Um, but it offered that kind of like new way of being. Um, and as I pursued my degree and I started practicing as a therapist, it just clicked. And it was like, oh, this is just how I am. So all those empathic qualities that I had as a kid that didn't quite fit in, all those interesting questions that I asked that no one had answers for, all those ways of whatever being just seemed to all kind of come together. Um, and a really fun, affirming thing that happened when I was in grad school is everyone had to take what's called the Myers-Briggs personality test. And I am what's called an INFJ. Uh, and the archetype of the INFJ is the counselor. So it was like, oh, I'm doing, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing because this is who I am. Uh, and so as I, you know, kept learning and growing and trying things, it pushed me into that world. Uh, a part of what was a huge way I showed up in that world in my early years as a therapist and even still do sometimes was as a um, therapist for children who have been through uh, domestic violence and abuses. Um, so my first few years actually being a therapist was primarily with kids and families who had been through a lot of gnarly trauma and working with children specifically to help them heal. Uh, and when you work with kids and you work with traumatized kids, 
all the things you understand about the world and all the things you understand about how people heal and all the things you want to do all kind of go out the window. Uh, Cause sitting down with a child and being like, okay, little Johnny, how are you today? What's your week been like? What's been on your mind? What do you want to process today in session? That doesn't work. Kid will look at you like, I don't want to be here. You're weird. I want to go home, but I don't really want to go home because it's not safe there. Yeah. So that launched me into all kinds of outside of the box modalities of being a therapist, which led me further and further down the rabbit hole of um, the world of going deeper. Um, things like, again, the Jungian world. Um, and that's continued to be my journey. Uh, okay. A couple more things I want to touch on. Uh, this this uh, heart wound that you, uh, I think actually it was your last post on Instagram, you were discussing mm -hmm. uh, heart wound or heart wounds. Uh, would you would you expound on that, please, uh, Mikey? Yeah, so the way in which I, I tend to break down who we are as people is through the like four pillars of being someone who has a heart, a mind, a body, and a soul. So your mind is that place, you know, where cognition and imagination lie. Your body is the somatic reality of who you are that includes intuition and deeper energetic um, realities. Your heart is that seat of emotion of the spark of who you are. And then your soul is obviously the container for kind of all of that and everything beyond. So when I talk about the heart wound, I talk about these core um, pains that we carry about who we are. A lot of times when you struggle with shame, that's because there's something festering and struggling to feel significant or like it can be from a heart level, meaning like not your actual physical heart, but sometimes your physical heart, but more so that just like core essential way that you interface with the world. Um, and so the heart wounds are just the ways in which you don't feel like you can be yourself or you feel like, you know, the things that really matter to you don't quite fit in or the things that you're really interested in, you know, have to get tossed around before they're seen as valid or whatever it might be. Does that track? Yeah. 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 I, I just recently read a book uh, uh, about this stuff. I I'm asking it more for, for the listeners, but yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, now, uh, I, I want to ask you about your future uh, and then I want to touch on a couple more uh, topics and get your perspective and then we'll, we'll close it out. Um, how do you approach your future, Mikey? Do you, are you like a, a visionary type person and goal oriented and you have a vision board and you're like in the next five years, this is what I want to accomplish next 10 years. This is where I want to be. Are you like one day at a time? Like where's, what's your philosophy on that? Like how do you kind of plan ahead if you do walk us through those processes, if you have any, please. Yeah. So it's similar to what you asked about, like the early questions, I kind of flow with things, but I also have the structure uh, and the way that I talk about this often uh, with my clients is by talking about what's called the masculine archetypes. Mm -hmm. And you've probably heard this before, but the core four masculine archetypes are what's known as the king, the magician, the lover, and the warrior. Uh, and I, I seek to like lean into the vision of my life by accessing 
those four different perspectives, which kind of correlate with what I said earlier of like mind, body, heart, and soul. So I really do. I do set goals. I do vision. I do like really lean into like trying to carve my way, but then I also try really hard to listen to life, to follow things, to not try to control everything, to lean into opportunities. I mean, even just like this, like you reached out and I'm like, great, let's walk through that door. Uh, I couldn't have planned or goal oriented this. Maybe I could have, I don't know, but it's like, you know, there's a synchronicity of a connection of you're doing your thing. I'm doing my thing. And now we get to meet together and I embrace that and I'm grateful for it. Uh, I'm grateful to you for that. And so in that regards, it's like, yeah, I do the visioning. I utilize the discipline, sometimes what's known as like warrior energy. But then I also lean into the imagination, the curiosity, which is that magician energy, and then the creation and the building and all the other things, which is sometimes the king energy. And then more so the play and the joy and the just deep being in the present, which is sometimes that lover energy. So I, I, I flow in and out of those. Uh, right now, I'm probably in more of a, I'm in kind of a combination of like, king and lover energy where i'm building and i'm learning a lot and i'm pushing edges and i'm thinking in different ways and i'm willing to ask different questions but i'm also just like trying to be very present and trying to also let things unfold in their timing which is a big deal like i think a lot of us have been hurt in our lives around wanting things to happen and not having them happen or being let down or having something blow up in your face or having someone stab you in the back when you took a risk. And so out of those places of those wounds, we kind of feel like we need to do more or try harder or whatever. And so it can be really hard when you're living in that mode unconsciously to say like, I'm going to let this happen. I'm going to let this unfold. I'm going to show up as healthfully as possible. And I'm also going to release the outcomes. Uh, and so I'm in a bit of that kind of stage as well, where I'm advocating for myself and I'm releasing ad, uh, outcomes. I'm learning a lot. I'm pushing edges and I'm also, you know, letting quote unquote, the universe do what it's going to do. Beautiful, man. Um, so I love that you said that you've worked uh, at least in the past a lot uh, in terms of counseling youth. Uh, so uh, the gym that I own, the majority of my personal training clients are youth. Uh, my main purpose, I believe, for myself in life is to serve youth and pour into the next generation. I've been in some sort of mentorship role since I was in high school uh, and, and all the way up to now. I, I, I am so passionate uh, about youth, about the next generation, because they're up next, right? Yeah. Um, now, with that being said, uh, I'm also a K-12 through licensed uh, a physical education teacher in Colorado. I'll be moving back to Colorado over uh, by Durango, uh, cool. in, in August and getting back into the, the teaching realm how uh, you know, I've been out of the classroom for four years now, close to it. The point I'm trying to get at Mikey is, uh, something I kind of said earlier about my upbringing. I had art, uh, and I had music to express my creativity. Uh, a lot like religion in our country. I believe that education in our country is uh, jacked up, messed up, and there's a lot of room for improvement, right? And I'm passionate about that because I look at my life uh, and my educational experiences and so much of the educational experiences 
uh, with our youth and our country in terms of the public education. And I'm like, man, there's so much more. I want our youth, Mikey, to understand that there's so much more than just you know doing what their their parents did or doing what their high school tells them they should do or like there's there's this life to live and you don't have to you know fit into this box or that box okay like i said before we started the recording like i'm super free spirited so i'm i'm really resonating with a lot that you're sharing in your story and in my head i'm like amen yes absolutely uh, i i agree i concur so how can we the question i want to pose to you mikey how can we at least provide more opportunities to our youth in our country uh, to, to realize that there's more in life? Like how can we provide more opportunities for uh, youth to get into counseling, to get into this, to get into that, not just be a, a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, kind of the, the normal stuff? Yeah, I mean, what I'm hearing from you is that you're really advocating and want to advocate for like abundance and authenticity in the people that you connect with, especially the kiddos, which is beautiful. Like, I think that's, what's powerful about children. Cause I, you know, like I said, I worked with children and I still do, um, you know, on a regular basis. And it's like, they're naturally authentic. It's all the, you know, bull dookie that, you know, um, that we project onto life and to them that hold them back and create all these shame spirals and whatever. Um, and so, I mean, because I'm in the psychological world, I would say, you know, one of the biggest things we can do is work on ourselves and begin to work on all the ways in which we allow scarcity to be a way in which we engage with our relationships, our world, our opportunities, and just start breaking down those shame wounds that we carry that lead to things feeling scarce, which then translates into systems like education where teachers aren't paid well and where kids, you know, the first thing that's taken out of the curriculum when budgets or whatever is art and music and things like that. It's like, it's really insane. Um, and, you know, I taught, psychology at the university level here in Colorado for a while. Um, and I loved it, but again, it was one of those things where it's like, I could make more money being a therapist than I could a teacher. And I really wanted to teach. And I saw the beauty and the value in helping, you know, basically, you know, young college age kids like learn more about themselves through psychology. But at some point I had to say, well, I can't sustain this. Um, and that's a, that's a real disservice that we do as adults and people that have created and sustained that world. Um, so, you know, I think one of the things again, that we can do in that is challenge all our scarcity mindset things and then reorient and do the deep work as an individual and as communities re reorient our own value structures. Um, as long as you value money over anything and everything, there's going to be so many things that are put on the chopping block that should never even be questioned. Um, but so many of us learn to value money or status or achievement because we're deeply afraid underneath the surface that if we are who we really want to be or feel like we are at our core, then things won't be okay. And so really breaking through those uh, barriers that we've built in ourselves or that have been built into us because of trauma or conditioning or cultural you know, crap uh, is a big thing we can do for the kids. 
because then you model to them uh, in a very, you know, sometimes active and passive way that you actually don't have to follow these rules in these world world um, assumptions and whatever. And so I think, you know, as you get back into the education system, that's a great thing you can do is just keep modeling and just remind them, right? Like it's those people in our lives that were a little bit rebellious in regards to the matrix and all the collective crap that's out there that helped us suspend our belief about the validity of those things just long enough to where even if it takes a long time for us on a personal level to break out of it, uh, help us rem- have a reference point of saying like, oh yeah, like Mikey did it or Quentin did it. So maybe, maybe I could. Yeah. yeah. Love it, man. I, I had a, I had a, a male uh, role model in my life growing up that is exactly what you're, you're talking about. That's, that's great. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, <clears throat> this is a, this is a, I've got, I've got uh, kind of a question I'd like to ask all my guests to wrap it up. Um, mm-hmm. But before I do, now this is kind of a, this is a, 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 a probably like a, you'd call it like a, a hot topic, uh, kind of like uh, it, it maybe like a, a trigger uh, type of a, a question here, topic. But I'm, I'm asking it because obviously you're a thoughtful person. You interact with a lot of people because of your profession. Um, I want to ask it. You're also out in Colorado. Colorado is uh, very unique. Uh, especially compared to Iowa where I'm at. So uh, I have obviously my opinions and thoughts on this question I'm about to ask you, but I'm not asking this for for my perspective. I want to ask because I'm curious with where you're at with this. So the topic is gender identity. Um, What are your thoughts on gender identity and how, how does that kind of play into uh, being a man, being a woman, all the things that is kind of being thrown at us through politics and through our current culture. Yeah. Um, my initial kind of thoughts on that, because, you know, like I said, I taught psychology on the university level and I taught in standard 101 and 102, there are sections on sexuality and gender and sociology and all this stuff. But the way I tend to approach this because I am a heterosexual man, you know, to use all the other language, it's, you know, I'm a cisgendered heterosexual male, and I'm probably missing something in that too. Um, But the way I approach this is through a deep respect for the body. Hmm. And I think one of the most brutal things that has happened in the modern world, which means the past, you know, 300 plus years, is that we have lost touch with our bodies and therefore we have lost touch with the earth. And because we've lost touch with the earth and our bodies, we have created these systems and structures and identities that aren't in alignment with like who you actually are and what you actually are. And so whenever I run into gender identity issues and things like that. One of the things I'm really curious about is what's a person's relationship with their body. And without, you know, getting too far into the weeds on this, one of the things that I tend to, you know, see and feel really confused about is that when we get more into the weeds with this, especially around kids, there's a lot of projection of pain, of shame, of suffering, of needing to change your body. Um, 
And something about that just doesn't sit well with me as someone who carried a lot of trauma in my body and has healed a lot of that and has gone through a big process of reclaiming my body and tapping into it and, you know, doing things like yoga and CrossFit and meditation and sensory deprivation and deep spiritual energetic work. It's like our bodies are so unknown to us. And I want to see more people go into a journey of reclaiming their body and not seeking to manipulate it or change it or force it to be something different out of pain. And that can be a gender thing. It can be a CrossFit thing. It can be a diet obesity thing. You know, so many people are so disenfranchised from their own bodies and they just use their bodies or live quote unquote through them without ever learning to listen to them and be a sort of kind of like servant to it uh, as opposed to a conscious identity trying to manipulate it. Um, and the reason why I say that you know, like I said earlier about the earth too, is because you see that's what we've done with the earth is we've taken this very conquering Western unhealthy masculine perspective on the earth itself. And we see the damages that have been done as a result of that with, you know, polluting the oceans and killing off thousands of species and toxicity in water and, you know, dot, 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 dot. It's pretty nasty. And our, you know, our body is not separate from the, the planet. And I think that's something we have to all wrestle with. And the powerful thing about that from a psychological perspective or a Jungian perspective is that your body and the soul are the same thing. Hmm. You are not like your soul isn't just some ethereal thing that's out here that maybe you'll find your body and your soul are intertwined in this life. And so doing deep soul work is also doing deep body work. Doing deep body work is also doing deep soul work. And I believe that, especially when it comes to the gender issues that we face, if people could be uh, given space and safety to explore that without judgment and with a bit of support, all the while maybe some boundaries on like, hey, like let's be kind to your body, uh, there might be a lot of really positive change that we see. But like you know, your typical bro at a gym or like the little, you know, kid that's struggling with their sexual identity and feels like they need to go through a, you know, a, a gender um, assignment, you know, surgery. It's like, you're just beating your body up. It might look good on the outside or, you know, you might be the toughest guy and you might've won the CrossFit games or you might be a whatever, but like you're beating the shit out of your body and that's not okay. Or a little kiddo who's confused because they have trauma and fear and they live in a society that's very disenfranchised says, well, maybe there's something wrong with me and maybe therefore I have to change it in order to feel okay. It's like, whoa, 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 yeah. what, you, what if you're okay already? Yeah. And what if like there's space for you to be as you are? And maybe if we lean into that a little bit more and slow things down, maybe then like if we eventually get to some assumption that you feel like is an absolute must, well, then maybe we can talk about what that needs to look like. But I think there's just a lot of reactivity in that world. And I want to see people slow down and I want to see, see people deeply value the fact that 
your body is more than just this thing that you're living in. Well put, man. Thanks for uh, sharing your thoughts on that. Uh, Cause I know it's a, uh, it's an interesting topic in our culture, but uh, like I, like mm-hmm. I knew you'd, you'd have some uh, perspective. So thank <clears> you, Mikey. Um, the final question, and then I'm going to give you the opportunity to share any final thoughts, any final words that you have. And if you uh, have anything you want to share with us in terms of websites or people connecting with you, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that here in a quick minute. Um, the tagline of the podcast, as I mentioned in our introduction, Mikey, is conversations with those in pursuit of more. So uh, the final question that I have for you is what are you currently pursuing or in pursuit of? Yeah, I think right now, a big part of what I'm in pursuit of is, again, like I mentioned earlier, rekindling that creative value, um, you know, uh, learning more about music, music production, getting back in touch with my songwriting and writing skills um, and then starting to, uh, really put out there that, you know, I've lived this life and built this career in mental health and I'm really good at it. And I've done that for 13 years. And I also have this other side to me that I'm learning to value more and more and more. And I'm learning to see actually has a lot to offer. And I'm curious if there are other people like that. And I want to bring those two things together. So a big part of what's going to probably be the next few years of my life, if not more is going to be the intersection of creativity and mental health, the intersection of deep soul work with um, artistic expression and how those things go hand in hand. And that's what I'm doing for myself. Uh, and that's what I'm offering for clients as well. Oh man. Love it. Awesome. Yeah. Um, Mikey, first of all, I just want to say uh, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. I uh, really appreciate what you said earlier about, you know, Hey, like I kind of reached out to you on Instagram and you're kind of in that place of like, you know, stepping through uh, open doors and um, I'm very similar. It's like, Hey, cause you asked me, a lot of people ask me and, and rightly so like, how did you find them? Like, Hey, just scrolling through Instagram. I, I try to yeah. just find uh, people I think would be great fits for the podcast. I sent them a random DM, never met most of you. And uh, here we are. And I, I just think it's a, uh, it's a lot of fun. And I, I learn a lot. I know everybody listening uh, learns a lot as well. So thanks for coming on, man, sharing your story before I do a quick outro and I let you go. Um, please, if you have any, anything you want to kind of leave with us in closing, I want to give you that opportunity. If people want to connect with you, whether that's for coaching or therapy, uh, if somebody wants to grab a cup of coffee with you, if they're out there in the Denver area or whatever you want to leave with us, um, platform is yours. I'll do a quick outro and that'll be a wrap. So uh, whatever you'd like to share in closing, Mikey. Yeah. If anyone's interested to connect with me, to build off of this conversation, to dive into their own personal work, like Instagram is a great way to connect with me. Um, And as you'll probably see, it's at Mikey.Brackett. Um, so feel free to reach out. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I, I oftentimes when I do podcasts, cause I've done a handful, people will ask me like, what's something I would, um, like say to people in closing. And it's interesting to look back at those and be like, oh, I said this and I said this and I said this. And so, you know, from this conversation, I think one thing that I would say would just be like, you know, if you've listened to this and if anything's resonated with you, like, don't don't continue to put off the things that you felt like uh, have been calling to you on a deeper level, whether that be to actually maybe start therapy or whether that be to like pick up your guitar again, or whether that be to like 
go on a silent retreat and like give yourself a minute to unplug, like whatever those deeper things are, like don't ignore them anymore and know that like, even if it's hard or even if it's difficult or even if it feels weird or it challenges a lot of assumptions you have, especially like if you're calling me to jump into therapy and coaching and you're like, oh gosh, here we go. Know that like when you do that, you're telling yourself on a deep level that you're willing to like commit fully to your transformation and on a deep soul level that that does amazing things. So I would just encourage people to to do the hard things, to do the scary things and to, you know, know that it's actually a really beautiful process. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mike. I really appreciate it. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All of you who are tuning in to another episode of Curious and Candid, I just want to say thank you so very much to all of you. I appreciate you. I value you. Uh, and I would love to connect with you. If you guys want to uh, connect with me, find out more about the guests that are coming onto the podcast, uh, find out more about myself. Uh, there's a couple ways that you can reach out to me and connect with me if you would like. Um, the first way is Instagram, Curious and Candid Podcast. Uh, send me a DM. Uh, let's connect. And then another way that you can connect with myself is uh, through email, curiousandcandidpodcast at gmail.com. And I like to always, uh, you know, just let everybody out there that's listening to the podcast uh, know uh, if you think you would be a great guest or if you have a friend or an acquaintance you think would be a great guest for the podcast. Uh, like I kind of mentioned earlier, I'm kind of always on the hunt specifically on Instagram uh, for people I think would be great for the podcast that will be willing to open up and uh, candidly share their story. And I just send out random DMs and, and here we are. It's, it's again, a lot of fun, but um, it's also great when people reach out to me and um, I, I, I want to make sure that I uh, give you that invitation to send me an email, introduce yourself or introduce your friend or acquaintance, and uh, we'll kind of uh, just take it from there. Um, if you guys would do a huge favor and please subscribe to Curious and Candid on iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and review, I would greatly appreciate that. And if you guys are interested in holistic lifestyle coaching, uh, you can check out my website and that website is Awaken trainingandnutrition.com. Again, that's for holistic lifestyle coaching. Uh, appreciate all of you, and we will catch you guys on the next episode of Curious and Candid. Mm -hmm.